0: Welcome into the Let's Be Frank video podcast. This is episode three coming at you, and we are very excited to be here. I'm Jason Dewey, your host, and of course, we'll go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Monica. We have a lot in store for you today. We've got a recap of the previous week in high school football. We're going to preview next week. We're going to talk instant replay in high school football, upsets in college football galore. We're going to have some... Check with me, offense, that coach is going to discuss in Football 101. Blitz the ball, coach, we have a great question for you. And, of course, we're going to go ahead and do lock of the week along with some thanks for the memory. So, coach, another week in the books of both the college and high school football season, and it's really in full swing. And it was a great to see some of these high school teams come out and the jump that they made between week one and week two. And, you know, as a coach, that's where a lot of people say you see the biggest jump in a season. No question. And, and
1: now this is all pre-district stuff and you know how pre-district is. I mean, it's a, a lot of people load up at the beginning of the year with some real good competition because sometimes their district is not as real competitive and, uh, and and they've gotten a lot smaller. So you're seeing a lot, a lot of big matchups earlier in the year, Jason.
0: And we want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firm, for being the title sponsor of this broadcast. Coach, let's just jump right into it. The LHSAA vote came through and it passed. And that is a massive talking point as we jump into prep talk here to start off the night. Coach, can you tell us what exactly this means for the LHSAA and the way that the playoffs are going to run?
1: Well, I think a lot of people were actually pleased with it and some are not, naturally. Uh, because it, uh, sometimes selfishness creeps up into a schedule and everybody wants to get to the Superdome. But this way, you have to play your, your way to the Superdome. It's highly competitive now. They've gone to the 24 2014 brackets, and there, there'll be 33 teams in each category. Uh, there'll be eight championships, four on each side, four in select, just like we predicted would happen. And right. and I really think that's going to be a very, very competitive balance. Uh, when you look at some of those, uh, the Division One select is just going to be brutal. Of uh, The 33 teams in it, you can see a lot of good football teams sitting at home comes this December or, or the latter part of November. But uh, on the flip side, as everybody's comparing, there are some weaker brackets. But you won't have, Jason, you won't have these two and eight teams or the the five and five teams making the playoffs. You're gonna have those guys will be at home where they belong. And uh, and but yet this does reward the power ranking system in, in Louisiana is phenomenal because it rewards you for playing a tough schedule.
0: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. It's going to be great for high school football as you mentioned. Division 1 in the select side is absolutely uh, tumultuous. You have Acadiana who's now in that bracket, you have Carr. you have Warren, Easton. The amount of t- teams that would normally be in the playoffs in the in the Superdome might find themselves getting getting bumped out in the quarterfinal round. And that is Look, massive for as Jason. you mentioned the game. You know, yeah. um but one thing is we've discussed how there's need to be a change and the way that the playoffs were working the previous few seasons has not worked. When you talk about the amount of teams that we're getting in that might not necessarily should be sitting in the playoffs. And in in 2016, I did a little bit of research coach and the numbers I came up with were jaw dropping. So in that season, 75% of teams were in the playoffs and when you look even, even further in depth, in 2A or lower, nearly half of those teams were 500 or below. The vast majority of those were below 500. Coach, there was even a team who was winless, got outscored 337 to 14, didn't score a point until week seven, and guess what? They weren't even the last seed in the playoffs. So for that to be the case, there had to be a change, and it sounds like you're on board with this change.
1: Yeah, just remember this now, that this is all temporary, because uh, in January, they go back to the to, to convention, and there'll be a lot of things, a lot of meetings about maybe changing some of this, and some people will complain about whether they'll select or not, and they might try to revamp that wording and uh, and try to uh, try to get on the other side. But uh, I think some of the people just accept and said hey, wherever wherever they put me, I'm fine with it. Uh, when you look at the, the, some of the brackets, some people fell down, you high, for instance, fell in the block, and there was Notre Dame and St. Charles Catholic. And so that's going to be another uh, competitive football team in that bracket. But LCA, Lafayette Christian, they stayed up in, in division Two. So, but you're going to see a lot, a lot of movement. I think a lot of politicking by the time January comes around and the, the vote comes to the vote of the General Assembly. So that's going to be a very, very interesting meeting. But let us I think Mr. Boline, uh, in, in sense of fair play, I think um, he went out and said, hey, this is not. I don't think this is an attempt to get it back together. It was attempt just for fair play, and I mean getting get, I a mean, the competitive balance thing. He uses that term uh, quite often, and I think it's a. I think most people are really in favor of it. It, it seems to be really, really a, a cool situation. You won't have a bad game in the playoffs now. You know, the, the, so the thirty second team or no twenty fourth team will be a bad football team. Every week will be a real real good. Uh, I think a, a, a dome type game.
0: Do you think there's any chance that when the vote does come around that maybe with the way the brackets are now set up, we will see a push from some of those teams that maybe feel like, hey, I was non-select, non-forced to play these schools. Why not get us all back together? And it could maybe sway the numbers a bit. I don't know if it would be enough. But is there a chance that we see maybe a change in the way that things are done and possibly a, a, an end to select and non-select?
1: Just remember it's football is different than the other sports. So football, baseball, softball, they're a little bit different. Basketball, a little bit different. So some of those brackets will be different. There are other teams in there. And so you can see, I think that that will sway. And some of those people will vote differently and come up with different plans. A lot of these, especially the coaches and ADs, they're, they're pretty intelligent. And if, if, if the NHS gives them a chance to, to voice their opinion and to come up with their own plan, they'll come up with some pretty good plans. Now, whether the principals, because they are the ones that vote, whether the principals agree with it is another thing. Um, but, but you know, I always said the handbook, it, it, the old handbook, is, has become almost a book of suggestions after a while. The handbook it says it's a principal's organization, but uh, and most of the rules in there are geared towards football. Eighty percent of the rules in there are geared towards football. But yet, you can see some other sports actually sprinting off and say, "Hey, let's let's put this amendment on the agenda." And uh, it has to be in by November, and so we can vote on it in, in January. So you can see uh, the Basketball Association is very strong. Um, Louisiana Football Coaches Association, which I was uh, started many, many years ago in 1986, um, could be stronger, uh, but they don't have the voice that the Basketball and, and the Baseball Association have. So you can see some major changes uh, in January.
0: It'll be interesting, and there's also the system in place in Indiana that's been discussed many times about – you get a certain amount of points for making it to a certain point in the playoffs. If you win three state titles, you're going to be bumped up. And I wonder that was very heavily discussed in the early going to this. It'll be interesting to see if something like that is promoted or they try to get a vote for it. But I think this is something that if you are a high school football fan, you've got to keep an eye on and make sure you're paying attention to, to be on the pulse because it changed drastically overnight. And I think we might see more changes to come. But on just that note, what
1: happened with that? Let me expound on that. What happened with the success factor? They brought that up, and it was it was actually discussed a lot. Where they put, but many the other sports like cross country, uh, track and field, soccer, many of the sports that were dominated by some of these schools didn't like that idea. Now, whether it's just for football, that's a, that's another thing. And um, could that could that possibly pass? Uh, it's going to get a little traction, but I don't know if that's ever going to pass.
0: Thank you, Coach, for adding that as well. And we're going to ahead and switch gears here to recap week two. A ton of massive matchups that took place. We have a few games that we want to focus on. Coach, right out the gate, want to discuss this De La Salle Holy Cross game. It was a massive ball game between two very powerful programs. De La Salle, of course, wins twenty-eight to twenty-two. Had to come back down from a twenty-two nothing deficit at the half, and PJ Martin just. Absolutely went off. Nearly 300 yards rushing. He's going to be a great ball player at the next level. A 70-yard touchdown with about seven minutes was a deciding factor. But they, the defense for De La Salle came up with some big stops in that game, and they move on to 2-0, and and what a big win for that team. And, Coach, you, you got a chance to focus on Curtis taking on Zachary, and that was a massive matchup
1: as well. No question. Zachary is just an electric football team. There's skill all over the football field. They have this hosting kid that's already a committed athlete, one of the better quarterbacks in, in the entire state. And they have, a, they have a, a a great running back, real big lineman. Uh, and, and, you know, they're a team that's probably projected to be in the Superdome at the end. But Curtis, you know, uh, uncharacteristic of them, turned the ball over three times. They had a kickoff return against them. And that's not that's not a Curtis type of a special team unit because they're always very sound in special team. And I mean, they gained a lot of yards, but they have three t- uh, Turnovers against a real good football team. We talked about turnover margin early in the one of our podcasts and uh, how important it is. And, uh, but that's uncharacteristic of them. But yet, don't count them out because they're still a very good football team. But Zachary, again, they're the elite football team right now, and it's going to take a lot to do. A very, very good football team to play a perfect night to defeat them.
0: And going to move gears and check out Catholic of Baton Rouge, who defeated Warren Eastern 43-34. to 34. Catholic coming off that tough loss in week one, Warren Eastern had a overtime win against Ruston in week one. So both teams kind of on the opposite ends of it is Catholic loss on a field goal that banged through the upright as time expired, but uh, no surprise here. Catholic continues to be the program that they've set out to be. These teams do have a chance to possibly play when it comes down to the Superdome. And, you know, these are two very good football teams. Catholic special teams came up as something that has been very familiar in all levels of football as we discussed, Coach, high school, college, and the NFL. Catholic returned to kickoff for a touchdown and blocked a punt, which came up huge in this game. He also forced a fumble at the one-yard line, which completely changed the complexion of the game. Quarterback Dave, Daniel, uh, Daniel Beal, three touchdowns on the night, which proved to be one of the deciding factors. And oh, by the way, running back rushed for a buck 73 and two touchdowns, and that was Barry Remo. So, a nice win for Catholic. You'll see Warren Easton get a chance to redeem himself in a big matchup this week. Coach Rummel, you high on a really wet track. Tell us what you thought about that matchup.
1: Oh, my son, uh, Toby, prior to the ball, gave me a text when he said, We're sitting here in the bus, and it's a quagmire out here. The players are all in the bus, and because they don't have a, a facility out there for the visiting team. So they had to wait, and you can tell by the outcome of the game, it was a low-scoring game. I don't know if the conditions have been better and it had been a higher-scoring game, but U-High is a very, very talented football team. Uh, throws a ends up throwing a 75-yard screen pass with, with a minute to go in the game, and, and and they went all the way for a touchdown to win the game after being down 14-10. to 10. Uh, So it was an exciting game on, on both sides. Uh, U-High is the national defending state champion. Uh, down is to down 2 that They beat a real quality uh, Washington team to get in of the year, uh, but the, the, I think the conditions had a lot to do with the, the outcome of that of that ball game. In that game, you had had a big a punt return also that set up a score. So, Jason, every time we turn around, there's, there's a special team play here or there. It it's consists of 20% of the game, but it's amazing how many coaches do not give it 20% attention.
0: And you, so many games have been decided by that. We've seen LSU. We've seen the Saints. So so many games have come down to special teams, and the high school rank is clearly no different, as you're going to talk about one in just a bit. But we're going to also talk about Riverside at Newman game was on VSN. Uh, Newman comes up on top 42 to 20. The Greenies scored 21 unanswered points at one point in this game, which really – cemented themselves as the victor in this matchup. Uh, Arch Manning had one of his typical games, as you could call it, but pretty incredible day for anybody else. 19 of 22, 221 yards and four touchdowns in that game. And it was even some plays that made its way on game day, including a clip from Varsity Sports Now. He does a fantastic job with ball placement and making plays happen with his feet. And it was on display, but you also have to look at the other side Riverside, Elijah Davis, 270 yards on the ground. He laid his heart out on the field, two touchdowns. But unfortunately for the Rebels, it was just not enough in a tough place to play at Newman. Yeah, you know, Jason, he, one thing
1: about that: both these teams are going to end up in the playoffs. I mean, Coach russo has got the got the, the the energy going back in that program, and, and and you can see they got a great running back, good quarterback. Uh, they, a quarterback. They're going to be one of the teams to contend with in Class A Select. I mean. You look around at, at their at their schedule. Uh, so this game was, was really a really good game for them to play. It needed to be played also for Newman because they saw uh, a, a heck of a running back one of the better running backs in the state that they have to learn how to stop how to, how to stop them. And uh, so this is going to help prepare them. They played Hornfield last week. This is going to help prepare Newman for the playoff run. And uh, so maybe they might be a team that, that we have to watch end up in the Superdome. Two fine coaches, two fine young coaches, you know, and... and can't wait. I'm pulling for both of them. And I can't wait to see them play more down the road. And not till Newman plays uh, St. Charles later on.
0: And coach, a game that you got to watch, speaking of St. Charles, was St. Charles Catholic who took on Lutcher. Crazy game. Uh, St. Charles comes out on top 21 to 20, but things weren't all sunshine and roses for the comments on their way to victory in that one.
1: JC they always talk, Bear Bryant has always said a game is composed of three big momentum plays. You just don't know when they're gonna occur. And in that ball game, there were several. Uh, St. Charles losing fourteen nothing at one time had a third and fifteen, and Aiden and Altamont, a little electric quarterback that can that can do it all. Uh, and then he throws a phenomenal pass. A guy catches right on the sideline. Continues to drive. A couple of plays later, the great design on the play. They score to go up. I mean to, to actually come back fourteen seven. Had that third down. Call had not been been executed, um, and Lutcher goes up 21-0, it could have been a different game. Then in the second half, St. Charles came back, took the lead, and but a bizarre thing at the end of the ball game, which was so interesting, highly competitive. The crowd was elected with packed house, It was standing room only, four or five deep around the fence. That's good old-fashioned River Parish football. That's the way it should be. And we've always professed that River Parish teams should be playing one another. You know, because that's what people want to see. The, the, the anxiety going into a ball game like that, the drama. But anyway, the quarterback, winfield he launches the pass with six seconds left. Um, the defensive back for St. Charles. He's back in prevent defense. Remember we talked defense last week on the podcast. He's back in prevent defense. He's in great position. He swings and misses. They're trying to bat the ball away, and he misses the thing. The receiver for the left, he catches the ball. And the backside safety for St. Charles. St. Charles rito's a linebacker michael Hotar is normally a linebacker but uh, the, the coach the defensive coach has put him as a backside safety he ends up running down the guy with no time left and he tackled him on the three-yard line he actually got caught from behind by michael hotard and i mean what a, what a great finish in fact the Lutcher people thought the game was won and uh but it was a exciting finish a two and over for saint charles catholic and um, and i know Lutcher is going to be a team that's probably going to end up that If that quarterback stays healthy, they're a team that you can possibly see in the Superdome, also.
0: That's a scary ball club. Both teams are. And we're going to go ahead and talk about St. Charles in just a bit as we're fixing to preview some of these incredible week three matchups. A lot of big games, as is every week. But this week has a few big ones in the New Orleans area and a huge game in Baton Rouge. We're going to start out Warren Easton at Carr you know, big New Orleans throwdown. potentially 11 Division One athletes going to be on the field. You better expect some fireworks in this game This is going to be an exciting ball game.
1: Yep. Yeah. There will be so many college prospects in that, in that one ball game. I mean, Jason, and that's that game is a, is a war. And I think that was an article in the paper the other day. They could see one another again. This might just be a preliminary warm-up game for them. Uh, they're that good. Both of them good. But remember, the... Uh, the Catholic League's got a lot of teams that, uh, that are pretty good also. So, and he's got to throw KDN out there. So, that, that this could be a prelude to the state championship game, but that, I'd everybody would like to see it. But I think there's a lot of obstacles in their way for both these schools. And plus, you know, the most important thing, you need a little luck. You need to have a, I mean, you need to be well coached naturally and things need to go your way. Uh, but you have to stay healthy. That's so important because uh, that's what the tough schedule and pre-district schedule gives you. If you play a lot of tough teams, uh, you, you put yourself in position to incur a few injuries. So let's hope and pray that doesn't happen to anyone.
0: In our next ballgame, Coach, we have Lafayette Christian at Jesuit in a big matchup. Jesuit's defense has performed really well in the first two weeks of the season, but now they've got to find a way to slow down LCA. An offense that scored 71 points and handily defeated an Acadiana ball club that's favored in division one to at least be near the end and a really good woodlawn ball club as well they have a ton of talent which is nothing new to the program how do you see jesuit matching up in this tough ball game in new orleans well i think
1: jesuit's a run oriented offense and, and Lafayette yet christian's pretty good on defense because uh as you said earlier they held the uh, woodlawn to one touchdown so that's a dubious feat right there uh gets a really real good quarterback that woodlawn has and so but look for judge to control the ball, control the tempo. I look for this to be a very low-scored game.
0: Yeah, and LCA has a ton of talent as well, especially this junior class. If you're not paying attention to this LCA ball club, but don't worry. They'll be back next year again just as good. Uh, Four D1 athletes, you know, that are juniors. So a team that you have to watch out for. Next matchup is St. Aug taking on Zachary in Baton Rouge. This game could be determined in the trenches. Both teams are exceptional, but Eli Holstein is at quarterback at Zachary, so we could see that being the determining factor on who comes away with a win.
1: They have so many game-breakers. Zachary's just got uh, anybody who touches the football, whether it's the quarterback and the receivers or running back. I mean, they're electric. They can go to distance. And when, when you got playmakers on your team, you don't really need great linemen. You love to have great linemen, but uh, they have that. But I, I think St. O'Neill can match their speed. And uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, the, the, St. O'Neill, everybody can run. Even that tuba player can run 4-4. Four, four. So, you know, the, So just look for the, this to be a pretty good matchup.
0: You mentioned that both teams have guys on the trenches who are getting recruited Division I. We'll see some excitement in the trenches as well as you mentioned in the passing game for both ball clubs. Next matchup, St. Charles taking a trip to Turlings Catholic. Should be an interesting game. Turlings, another powerful offense, put up over 70 points in their first two games. St. Charles appears to be a bit more battle-tested, and of course we know they've been known for that defense. Coach, what do you think about this matchup between Turlings and St. Charles?
1: I think the big matchup is going to be the Turlings offense against St. Charles' defense. But again, what St. Charles has been able to do in the first two ball games is control the ball offensively, with long sustained drives and holding on to the football and playing solid, solid the uh, special teams so that's uh, those three faces I mean that's a very very unbeatable combination so this could go down to war, but I look for this to be a very very close ball game and St. Charles secondary second there will be tested uh, by a, a wide open Charlie's uh, offense that uh, and they like to throw the ball they've always have and uh, but they've also been pretty good in, in special teams too so and, and we're playing on the road St. Charles going on the road they both 2-0 and so it's gonna be a very very exciting matchup I know St. Charles will bring a big crowd Turlings are served to be there, you know. So uh, their team, that also they, they'll be in a different division. Turlings will be; they'll be higher up. So this is a one-time to play them, but you know this this uh, game has a lot of power ranking um, possibilities with it. So that's, that this this matchup is very very intriguing.
0: Aiden Altamall's name we've mentioned over and over. Quarterback for St. Charles, expect him to play a big factor, but also Preston Welsh, junior quarterback, is the UAB offer from, from Turlings. Definitely going to be crucial in that passing game for Turlings. Flipping the script, Rummel at Shaw in a Catholic League showdown. Coach, big matchup for this, these two teams. You can never it's, beat a good Catholic League game, and we have one on our hands. Well,
1: this right here is they play for what they call the megaphone game. And uh, I think that the, Coach Tierney is going to bring back this 1987 state championship team. They're building this up to be a real big game uh, matchup against Rummel. It was a close game last year. Uh, Shaw has a real, real fine back that, they, I mean, he's like, he's lighting one of the fastest kids in the state, uh, rumble would certainly like to, they go in there undefeated. So, uh, this could be, this could be a real, real tough game for them on the road. And, um, it's not far, but if you hit on the road and, and Shaw's, that hadn't had a chance to play many of their home games, at that new stadium, but, uh, this will be, I think a, a game that Shaw's been looking for for a long, long time.
0: And next matchup we have is Destrahan taking on East Ascension, a game that's flying severely under the radar when you look at the lineup and the slate of games in Week 3. We know about Destrahan, six Division I prospects on the offensive side, the football. East Ascension looking to again shock the world after going on the road and winning a big game in West Monroe. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: I think that, you know – that is is very very talented might be the best football team they've had in years might be the best football team in the state i mean so this is going to be a very very interesting game east ascension can match their size though uh the only dilemma for east ascension they lost their starting quarterback at the beginning of the year uh so they playing with a backup quarterback but you know he now knows that he has to do that for the rest of the year so um but the, uh, east ascension will match their size and that they're loaded up front with offensive and defensive linemen and so this could be a very physical ball game in the trenches. Now, can, can they can they slow down Strand's offense is going to be the key.
0: Yeah, and that's the point. That we have four off, you have four offensive weapons that have D one offers on Strand, It's not going to be easy, but you have to feel like East Ascension feels like they have some momentum moving forward after that massive win in Baton Rouge. Big game, University Lab taking on Catholic of Baton Rouge. Both schools playing another massive opponent. Both schools coming into this game one-and-one. One. Catholics' offense and U-High's defense should be a fun matchup to watch, and this is going to be a great test to see where both of these teams stack up early on in the year.
1: You know, years ago, Baton Rouge would turn out maybe a number of, of, of D1 guys, um, not as bad as the New Orleans or other pockets of the state, but now Baton Rouge is a very, very, very fertile recruiting ground. And this, in this ball game alone, there are some uh, two fine linebackers, Osbury and Moses kid. Uh, Catholic High is always talented. Catholic High is a real huge program. They have over 100 athletes that they dress out there. Uh, they're two and three deep. I mean, it in, as far as offensive and defensive linemen. So, so this could be a massive, massive game. For U High, it's a big step up for them. And and you know they're sort of the they're sort of the team that and this is a big game for them, um, and because Catholic High has got so many big ball games in, in their schedule, I don't know how they perceive this game uh, in terms of the the matchup. But I know you High is going to put a lot of emphasis on this football game.
0: When U High is considered the step down from what you've been playing, that speaks to the strength of schedule that Catholic has, and U High has been playing some talented teams as well. So it'll be a fascinating game to see in this Friday coming up. That'll do it for Prep talk, and in segment two, we're going to have special guest Bubby Brister join us and talk about his experience in the NFL and everything in between. We want to go ahead and give a thanks to our sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firm. Samuel Accardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Patches is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. We're gonna go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll have segment two. Remember, you're watching the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Accardo and R.E. Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate title and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local Associated Grocers and Rouse's supermarkets.
2: Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics.
0: If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King Laplace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boucher and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. We would like to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local Associated Grocers and Robson Supermarkets. We'd like to bring on our special guest who played both professional baseball and football. He was drafted in the fourth round of the MLB draft by the Tigers and played college football at Tulane and Louisiana Monroe. He was drafted by the NFL in the third round by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He passed for over 14,000 yards and threw for 81 touchdowns. He also won a pair of Super Bowls while with the Denver Broncos and went 4-0 in starts in a historic 12-0 start by the 1998 Super Bowl season. Best start since the unbeaten 1972 Miami Dolphins. We'd like to bring on our special guest, Bubby Brister, and thank you so much for being here, Bubby, and I have to ask, what made you choose football over baseball?
3: Well, when I got drafted, I went and played baseball for a while. Um, I was a pitcher uh, all my life, and then uh, I I played some shortstop and center field stuff in high school, but not very much. Um, So I thought when I got drafted, I was going to pitch. And when I got to the minor leagues, they put me at shortstop and center field and wanted me to be an everyday player. And, uh, I just, coming out of high school, I wasn't big enough, strong enough, you know, swinging wooden bats. Uh, I just felt like it was going to take a long time uh, for me to develop, and and maybe if I had a chance to make it in the major leagues, I felt like I could have made it as a pitcher. Uh, So I talked to the coach about it, and they said that they were going to keep me as an everyday player. And so uh, since that was the case, I decided to go back to football, and actually I said, well, if I don't do something now at least want to go back to college and get an education. And I started playing football again. And I was able to get a scholarship at Tulane um, and, and start my football career and, and go to college then. But, uh, you know, making it minor league baseball is very tough.
1: But well, I want to back up a little bit. Thank you again. To, on behalf of Jason and Justin uh, for doing this, this is your very special guest for us. Um, it means a lot to our little new, new, Uniform podcast, but I want to go back when I first saw you in high school, and you remember the game well, semifinal game at East St. John. In fact, I, I, if I, if I recall, you came off the bus with cowboy boots and, and uh, a cowboy hat and you played your buns off, you possessed a phenomenal arm. And, uh, and, and that was a very, very good ball game. I was standing right by the fence recruiting that night. I was actually recruiting some guys from East St. John and, and cross-checking you even though Monroe was not my recruiter in area, but I was cross-checking right. you. And uh, and I said, my God, this guy can play. But tell me a little bit about that game that you remember. I know you remember that
3: game. Uh, well, I, uh, I, what I do remember is I scored a touchdown. I had purple paint all over my white shirt, and the referees said no touchdown. So they were not going to let us get out of East St. John with a win. And uh, that's just a fact. <laughs> If they had this to replay back then, of course, they don't have it in high school. It would have been a totally different deal. But uh, Timmy Bird was there. They had a great team. I respect – they have a lot of respect for those guys. They played well. And uh, it's hard for a North Louisiana team to win in South Louisiana, if you know what I mean. And probably, yeah. and probably vice versa. Right. And, 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 Bubby,
1: I remember when you came for your recruiting visit, it just so happened we were playing LSU. Your mom and dad were there. And we ended up being in LSU. 48 to seven, and we had two recruits there. You were one, and the other guy was by the name of Elton Vils. Do you remember that night?
3: I do, and Elton Vils was an unbelievable player, um, you know, and then I left I left, and came back later and uh, and was able to be around him. What a great guy. Yeah, he, he, he really was, and, and then,
1: but take us through exactly um, what happened from that, from Tulane, what happened from there to the northeast. Was it northeast but, at the time? It was. Or, you know, yeah, it was
3: northeast. north. north yeah, it was northeast at the time. It was still one aa um, mm-hmm. Well, like you know, I came in to play for you guys, and uh, we had great coaching staff, and um, was really excited about the opportunity. And I played some as a freshman, you know. And then we had a coaching change, and, and Wally English had other ideas about the quarterback position. Uh, so I ended up transferring to Northeast. Uh, didn't want to. You know, Dad like try to talk me out of it and everything, but um, I just really felt like I wanted to try to get on the field, and I had enough talent maybe to get a look uh, at the NFL, uh, but I wasn't going to be able to do that playing behind John English, which, you know, John's a great guy and all that. I'm not going to sit here and talk bad about him, but but I could out, you know, I think I was a better quarterback at the time. It's just hard to it's hard to play daddy behind it behind the uh, coach's son and daddy ball in college. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't think that would ever happen, but, but it did. And and it was just my time to move on coach. And and things worked out and uh, you know, wish I could have stayed there for four years. I think we would have had a really, really good team. No, no question. But what are
1: some of the highlights of your professional career?
3: Oh Lord. <laughs> did we, <laughs> Oh, so long ago we didn't have face masks.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I I remember very very well. I mean, you, you played some, some, some great coaches too. Uh, what coach do you remember the most that kind of developed your character or or maybe the hardest guy on you or something like that, but
3: Well, we I've had some tough coaches. My high school coach, Coach Brown, was really tough on all of us. But uh, you know, and they have some great college coaches. Pat Collins was unbelievable. Um, you know, I owe him a lot to, to, you know, my success. Um, but when I got to the pros, you know, Chuck Noll and the Steelers drafted me and, um, he was an amazing man and, uh, just very flattered to be able to be part of that organization and, and to play for him. And Tom Moore was a coordinator and Tom Moore is still coaching. He coaches at Tampa Bay Buccaneers still, and he's in his eighties. Uh, but those two guys there were unbelievable. But, because that's who drafted me and that's who uh, I played for the longest. So uh, I really respect those guys. and know them a lot. Well, I mean, what
1: do you think of the NFL as the model that they, they put on the field now in terms of uh, the many changes that they're making that, uh, in the NFL? And naturally the money and free agency, and the whole deal, because uh, free agency to a lot of people, a lot of fans, it's just, we don't know who to pull for anymore because they move around so
3: much. Yeah. Well, guess what? College is going to be worse now with uh, Mm -hmm. the portal portal deal. And then you have, uh, you know, kids coming out of junior college and you got kids coming out of high school. It's going to be the same. But yeah, pro football has changed and the rules have changed. Uh, I think they've changed for the better. I think, uh, you know, some people say it's a little soft, but God, the guys are getting so big and so fast out there, somebody's going to get killed. And um, so I, I like some of the rule changes, but. With the free agency and everybody moving around all the time and no loyalty, but, uh, hey, Coach, you know how it is. It's all about the money. Amen. Amen. I mean,
1: they've done more and more to protect the quarterbacks now, and I'm sure you you appreciate that because when you played, the rules were not in place like they are now.
3: No, it was kill the man with the football back then. (laughs) You know, my my dad coached in high school for 40 years, and uh, one time he told me the best game he ever saw me play. I got sacked seven times at Chicago Bears. I'm like, Dad, what are you talking about? We got beaten. I got sacked seven times. He (laughs) said, anybody else would have quit. And he said, you know, I I took a beating so bad. But that's just the way we were back then. I mean, you had to be tough before you had to be good. But I'm glad they changed the rules because some of it was inhumane. I
1: I, I agree with that.
3: But tell us a little bit about exactly what you're doing now. Uh, Coach, I'm in the – uh, oil and gas and the uh, power business. Uh, what we do is we do clearing and we have mats and we do restoration for uh, like energy of Louisiana, energy of Mississippi, or uh, uh, say Williams energy, um, big power, big power companies and big pipelines. We go out there and prepare everything for uh, the work that they have to do. And then we clean up when they leave. So we do, um the prep work going in and we like the clearing mats and restoration and we've been busy things have been going well um you know people are going to start running a lot of pipelines more we need more natural gas and all that i know a lot of people are going green which you know we need a little bit of that too but uh things things have been going well for us the company's called the empire group or out of hattiesburg mississippi and uh we've got a great company it's, it's uh it's an honor to work for those guys. They're, they're smart, they're young, and they're aggressive, and I'm just glad to be a part of it.
1: How about your son, Bubba? He's a heck of a quarterback in high school.
3: Uh, <clears throat> well- I understand he's about six foot four now. He's six five two ten, 210, but guess, guess what? He went to uh, transferred to Louisiana Tech from Colorado, Northern Colorado, uh, but the other day, the coach said they didn't have room for him, so he's not playing football anymore and uh he's just going to tech right now and we'll reevaluate everything in the spring but he seems happy coach and that's all that matters to us is is he's happy and um you know football's changed a lot just like we said earlier i mean they they brought in a couple of guys right out of junior college and put in front of him and you know without uh, it's just uh it's a new game it's a new way of the you know what college is just like pro now so uh, I'm not sure if he's ever going to play again. and It doesn't matter to us as long as he's happy.
1: No, no question, and, and he's healthy. You know, it, because with all the changes now happening in college, I mean, you said it earlier, it is like it's free agency now. And I uh, talked to one of the, the coaches at another level, and he said, you know, I'm almost like a junior college kid. Anybody can come in my school and, and rob one of my guys
3: at yep. any time, it's, it's especially the best players. And guess what else? And they're going to do it and pay him a lot of money with this nil money. And guess who's going to play. Then all of a sudden you're paying a guy two or $300,000 and you bring him in from Alabama or Georgia somewhere. And the kid that you've recruited for the last couple of years, it doesn't matter who you are, how good you are, whatever. It's the same thing we talked about earlier. Then the money talks. And uh, so it's a, it's a, I hate it because I love college football. Although last week was one heck of a weekend to watch college football, but, uh the way they're treating the guys and the way things are going it's changed a lot and um i enjoy watching it and i'm just uh, i'm sort of glad andrew's out of it actually yeah you know it
1: it, it brings to mind that there's a kid that left lsu and if he had a big nil offer and a big contract and he leaves the school does that carry
3: with him or does he have to relinquish that i don't know how that works anymore I don't know, but I guess if you were at LSU and somebody's paying you $100,000 and you left and went to Alabama, I don't believe they want to give you any more money, <laughs> you know. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Jason? Yeah, so, Bobby, I, we understand that you're an
0: avid sportsman. You know, what's your favorite game to hunt? What's your favorite hunting season?
3: Well, I like archery hunting uh, for whitetail deer, which is coming up in a couple weeks, and, um, you know, I've, I've – had some success doing that and we have a really good place on the mississippi river but i don't really kill them anymore uh i take people hunting and enjoy being in the outdoors with with other people and customers um heck i watch them a lot video them a lot but i'm really not mad at them anymore and and we grow some big deer and it's fun doing that and getting everything ready for deer season but um i enjoy being out there early in the fall for whitetail deer and I'm glad
1: you love love honey but I just started with my son and I enjoy the honey now sit up there and, and just look at the trees and I can't shoot worth a flip because of, <laughs> I can't hit the Pacific Ocean but i I enjoy yeah. I enjoy watching the deer run around
3: yeah it's it's fun watching the sun coming up and enjoying nature it's it's better than just you know I'm not a killer so uh but I enjoy being out there well.
1: Uh, we can't, we can't we can't think enough. You know, Jason anything else for, for Bubby?
3: No, that's it. And again, you know, we, like from Coach
0: Monica as well, we want to thank you so much for taking your time to you come bet. along with us. And again, it's been a pleasure uh, getting to speak with you about you know your history and your past.
3: And again, getting to catch up with you. And Bobby, listen,
1: uh, in, in your free time, remember I'm
3: available for lunch Monday through Friday. Okay. You got it. I know. I know. I know you, I know you like Italian. <laughs> some cheap wine, too, would you? <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, good luck to you, Thank you all for having me. Excuse my appearance and all that and being late, but I am I'm, um, hopefully no I get problem. to see you here soon, Coach. No problem. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Y'all have a good night.
0: We want to once again thank Bobby Bristol for coming on to the Let's Be Frank podcast. Coming up in segment three, we have the Let's Be Frank segment where he's going to go in and talk about instant replay in high school football. We're going to have some football 101 some blitz the ball coach question, and we're also gonna have a lock the we picks. So remember, you're watching the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Samuel Accardo and R.E. Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure southern cane is available in your local associated grocers and rouse's supermarkets
2: since 1972 riverlands insurance services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you your family your assets and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company a3m vacuum services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and new orleans a3m vacuum services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics.
0: If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with r and Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King Laplace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boucher and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. And we are back in segment three as it's going to be the Let's Be Frank segment. But before we get to that, we'd like to thank Riverlands Insurance for supporting the Let's Be Frank video podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company and our agency creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Now we're going to go ahead and dive into the Let's Be Frank segment. Coach, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first talking point, which is instant replay, especially as it pertains to high school sports. Coach, it's not something that's utilized in a ton of places, but it's gaining a lot of traction. And what are your thoughts on including that in Louisiana high school football?
1: Well, Jason, I really think that, the instant replay really needs to be utilized in high school football uh, to get plays correct. I'm not one that has to review every little thing, but there are a lot of things that need, especially it's always been fumbles have been the most controversial issue that ever been involved in, in football. Uh, was his knee down? When did the ball come out? And at one time years ago, you could not advance a fumble for a touchdown. All you got was a possession. But now, since it's a controversial issue about whether the guy was down, when was the ball released, and that sort of thing. Plus, they, that controversy, plus they give you the touchdown if you, you scoop and score. And that's what people work on. They work on scooping and scoring from the defensive side. Even the offensive guys have to work on that to, to some extent. We talk about how to recover a fumble. I will cover that in my Football on one one day, you know, because that's something that, that a lot of guys don't know how to do. But the, the reason I say this because some states around the surrounding states are already using instant replay. And, uh, for instance, if it's a fumble or maybe a potential, uh, potential stepping out of bounds, uh, did he really score on the play? Uh, that, some of the things that, you know, the interference and subjective calls, naturally those things would not be reviewed. And, uh, so there's a lot of controversy about whether people can I talked to one guy, in the other just, he said, "A," hey, and he said, well, coach, course they can't afford that. I said, guys i said everybody even the public schools they have these computer labs they have computer technology people and they can certainly acquire that they have government grants to get all this equipment everybody has huddle and they have big tv screens down on the sideline so it's going to be easily reviewed to get to get the play right and all you want from a coach is to get the thing right and the team that's supposed to win the game wins the game it will take the pressure off the officials also and, and uh, so that way they, they're not criticized because this isn't this hard to get officials nowadays. Uh, they're short-handed. and some crews are down to five per, per game. Rather, used to be seven. Re- seven is recommended. It is used. I want you to know the instant replay is used in the state championship game. It's at the discretion of the coach. And that's another thing. If two coaches agree not to use it, that's fine. And on the, on the flip side of it, if the, if the call on the field cannot be determined by video, then let the call on the field stand just like it is this down. So that's very important. Uh, they, I watched a game uh, last year. I watched a game, and a very, very important game. I saw a down was lost. There was one team that was given five downs in a football game. Now, you, so it would be very easy to go to sideline and check the the replay, or you can say the home team is responsible for having the equipment there, and it's very simple because they have it anyway. I mean, think thing that they, that they use in football now as far as technologies is something, I mean, it's almost like the Artemis One that, that they can use. I mean, it's, it's, it's that flexible. So the bottom line is let's get this thing, let's get it right. Uh, let's make sure that it'll help the sportsmanship of the game. It will take the crowd out of it. Once it's reviewed, all of a sudden the crowd becomes diffused. And, uh, and so it's not like, well, they can leave the stadium and say, well, we got, we got screwed, so to speak. So I think it's very, very important. And uh, is it going to come about? I see it in the future. And like I said before, these schools, everybody can afford that. They all have the equipment. That's what coaches do weekends anyway. They break down film. They bring it home. And, I mean, the the, the, the amount of technology that's out there, there's no reason why they can't have this. And they can have big monitors. I mean, I'm not in favor of re- showing a uh, play on a big jumbotron so the fans can see it and, and criticize the fish. I'm not in favor of that. But when, he, when they can go to the sideline and check that iPad for situations like down in distance, they can see whether the person scored, did he really step out of bounds, did he hold on to the ball or not. I think that's very, very crucial. And it should be something. It will make the game better. We use it in college. We use it in NFL. We use it in Major League Baseball. And it, it, it is shown to be very, very beneficial. And everybody, especially the coach, can relax and say, well, I'm, if I got instant replay, I can trust the call in the field being made will be correct.
0: Yeah, And this is something that's gained a lot of traction, I believe, around 2018. Alabama was the first state to introduce the concept, and it's really kind of picked up. Uh, at least five to six states have now picked up that policy, some of them just being in the finals or just being in the playoffs. And the one thing that is the flip side of it, Coach, is we don't want to see – a complete halt in momentum. You change in direction of the flow of the game due to this. And there was a game I was at last year where there was about five, it was a few replays and it was, I'm talking a 15 minute, 16 minute break in play. And I know that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about make a quick, concise decision. So I think everybody would be on board for this, but the one thing is to make the process simple quit and understand this is not, we cannot spend 15, 16, 20 minutes to this game and expand right. it and give the team a chance to completely change the momentum.
1: Right. Remember this though, I'm saying not for every little thing, right? But I, I want you to know that we figured out a coach puts in a week, not just practice. He puts in anywhere between 85 to 90 hours a week for one football game. It, I mean, that's a lot of hours watching film breaking down film, working on weekends when everybody's you know, partying or something, they're going fishing. So as a coach, from that standpoint, I wanna make sure that when I go in the field, I don't care how long it takes and I'm not one for for, for having people sit there for hours to decipher what the call was. No, that's why I said just from a limited basis, use it. But I wanna make sure that they get that call correct. Cause that, that, a bad call can mean thousands of dollars. It can mean a difference whether you go to Superdome And and if it can be corrected by video, if not, if it's judgmental, if it's an interference call, or just something like that, I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But something that's very, very obvious, like down in distance, that that is an obvious call with the out of bounds or with the inbounds. That those things are a, a very obvious thing. But you're right, jason I don't want to see it extended. But from a coach's standpoint, when you leave there, we put so much money and time into this thing. And um, th- that call could really be very, very costly because, you know, we all watch games and, um, and on TV and you see, and we're trying to figure out what happened. There was a controversial call in the in the, the, the Saints game. And I think the pitchers end up getting it right. But the, the bottom line, that's all you want from a coach. Did they get it right, you know, the, the call? So, again, I, I, I understand the point. But from a coach's standpoint and right. from the player's standpoint, that puts so much into it, let's get this thing right. And so regardless of how long it takes.
0: What's crazy is, Coach, the rate at which this is catching on, the high school game in football, and it was only just recently implemented in Major League Baseball. Yeah, right. Crazy to me how, how quickly things can change over the course of a few years. However, we're going to go ahead and look at upsets in college football. So many big games, so many big moments. We're going to start with a near miss. It wasn't quite an upset, but when you're a double-digit dog like Texas was, in your home stadium or not, and you find a way to be competitive to the end of the game, that's still saying something. Alabama found a way to win, and that's what matters. But, again, a lot of people are going to still be talking about this matchup,
1: Coach. No question. I mean, a credit to Coach Sarkisian for having his, his team ready. I mean, and then he loses his quarterback. He loses freshman quarterback early in the ballgame. He has to go to another guy. A guy was actually limping around the entire game. Uh, but, you know, Alabama's Heisman Trophy winner, at the end, he showed like, like he was the Heisman Trophy winner. And, um, but prior to the first three quarters, he didn't look that really that, that sharp and, and completed a bunch of balls. And, and, um, but listen, the University of Texas is the t- school in Texas, um, and they can recruit. You have, uh, you have five times more high schools there than the state of Louisiana first, and huge high schools. You know, they have graduating classes of 2000 in the graduating class and there are a number of prospects all over Texas. Some of the better quarterbacks in the NFL are from Texas. So when you talk about Texas, they're never going to have a depleted roster. And uh, when you look out there, their speed matched up to Alabama's speed. And it was a game that went all the way down to the end. They had to get two minutes through at the end of the ballgame to win it. And, and I mean, it was just a phenomenal game. And uh, you're going to see, I think Texas wins a, had a lot of ball games down the road, but they have the personnel to match Alabama's.
0: The one thing I, I, we've talked about before the show, Coach, is that Texas had to make a play that they didn't. It, they, when you get to the red zone three times, you've got to go for it fourth down at one of those times. And one of those turned into a missed kick. So, yeah, of course, you know, hindsight 20-20, but you've got to take a chance on one of those times in the red zone. And that could have been the difference – Unfortunately for Texas, it wasn't. Uh, But we're going to stay in the state of Texas. Another massive – well, like the first massive upset we're going to talk about was Appalachian State beating Texas A&M 17-14. Appalachian State's not new to this. They've gone on the road and beaten the top-10 team before. But I've talked to a few of their fans, and they kind of felt like they've been in these types of situations before. They've been at the end, and they haven't been able to recapture that magic of the Michigan game, and now they're able to do so in a huge stage in the SEC stadium, I'm sure they feel really good about themselves.
1: Well, i tell you, Appalachia State for years they played against ULL here uh, for the conference championship. It always came down to them. Uh, And and ULL, at one time, they're loaded with talent, well, well coached. And, I mean, those kids over there, they play with a chip on their shoulder like like no team you've ever seen in the whole country. And uh, don't ever count them out. I don't care who they're playing. They should have won the first week. You know, but the, but the but the bottom line, they got a tough schedule, and to beat Texas A&M, who all of a sudden is supposed to be a top top three team, uh, and, and I I just thought that was a phenomenal win, That's one for the ages. So a lot of people, you know, there's some big ball games during the year that people understand that are bigger victories than some of the bowl games. You know, and, and uh, it's that journey in football that we all want to see. That's one of those preseason games that that um, everybody didn't anticipate. They thought Texas A&M would would run over them and they would be a contender and it still might be for the national title but they certainly didn't look good against Appalachia State who was a kind of a in the D1 is kind of a newcomer so I mean but hats off to them and and of course Jimbo Fisher one guy that you know he's an excellent excellent coach Uh, was at LSU for a number of years and and uh, many people thought he was gonna be the next guy there Uh, but uh, right now he has to find a way to get his ball club back on track and try to get into national contention again
0: He's already said he's not even going to call plays from here on out. So they're trying to make some wholesale changes. We'll see if Texas a can get things back on track. Washington State upset Wisconsin 17-14. And, Coach, I think what's even more surprising than the fact that Washington State won the game is the manner in which they did. When's the last time you've seen a Washington State team score 17 points, hold their opponent to 14 points and win a ball game?
1: Yeah, you know, Wisconsin, I mean, that that was one of the most surprising. That's a team that I thought that would cover. And, and uh, Wisconsin is always really, really good on defense. Boy, they take care of the ball. They don't turn it over. Uh, they're one of the teams that they bring it. They play hard-nosed football. They don't have the speed that a lot of teams in, in Division One have, especially in the Big Ten. Uh, but, but they're soundly coached, you know. Uh, Dave Aranda came from there. They've always had three real good defensive coordinators. But they get a lot out of their personnel. And like I said before, that uh, if you look at their roster, they don't have a lot of D1 guys. You know, Jason, one thing I forgot to mention about Texas, um, you know, I think maybe two years in a row, or maybe going back to three or four years in a row, Texas has not had a a first round draft choice. And um, that shocked everybody because that, in my mind, because I recruited for a number of years, that's the best recruiting state in the whole country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go ahead and focus on Marshall taking down Notre Dame. Nobody expected this one. Appalachian State is a school that you've seen them do it before, but Marshall coming out of nowhere, going on the road, in that stadium, in that environment, and finding a way to win. Meanwhile, you see Notre Dame, They want a lot of people were saying, you know, we're so happy to get rid of uh, the old ball coach, Brian Kelly, yet 0-3 right now under the new tenure.
1: Jason, the, the fact that they did it at South Bend is even more intriguing. Uh, you know, I had a friend of mine who was the head coach, Bob Prove, the head coach at Marshall for a number of years. And we talked often when he was up there. Um, you know, Randy Morris came through that school. What did the best kept secret about talent, they get a, and I don't know how they do it, but they get a lot of talent in that school. Just the fact that they can, they can stand up to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame is a national recruiting university. And they can basically get anybody they want around the country. And um, their biggest thing is the right, the right 25. And, you know, recruiting, people understand, recruiting is nothing more than an opinion. Uh, so you got to make sure you get the right 25. Uh, you can make a lot of mistakes in recruiting. And uh, but, but Marshall going there, I mean, that was a major, major surprise to everybody and the way that they did it. And I know that guy, know that he's already, Coach Freeman's already in a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of pressure. He was the guy that one time who was tired as maybe a possible defense coordinator for LSU. And, um, you know, this came about. We pull it for him because, you know, me personally, I don't like to see any coach uh, lose their job because uh, I know how hard it is to get people motivated like happened at Nebraska with Frost. And um, that's, just, that's a story for another day because a good friend of mine actually get that job and, and, uh, and I haven't called him yet, but I certainly will contact uh, Coach Joseph at Nebraska.
0: Two To be fair as well, Coach, two of his three losses were to top ten teams. This is the outlier. We'll see if, the, if Coach Freeman can get it back on track. And they have a lot of time to do that and a lot of opportunities to prove themselves throughout the year. But to close out the Let's Be Frank segment, Coach, you want to touch on some important and intriguing rule changes that are occurring in baseball. Can you go ahead and tell us about them?
1: Oh, one thing that kind of blows my mind, one, is the so-called shift, where now the Major League Baseball, starting next year, you can only have two people on each side of second base. You know, it, it, it being a former baseball player in high school and a college ball player for four years and then playing a lot of semi-pro stuff, I don't understand they pay thousands and millions to hitting coaches. You mean to tell me a, a guy making $10 million a year cannot learn to hit the ball the other way? And uh, so what it tells you is that what the major leagues want—they want—they want to see the three-run homer. They—they're not interested in double plays. They're not interested in, in singles and base hits. They want to see the three-run homer. And uh, you know, read an article the other day about not only that, but how, how the stolen base is a thing of the past. You know, the, the, nobody pushing the records of stolen bases. People don't steal anymore because now they got these big old guys. I mean, they look like. They look like Lou Ferrigno playing uh, second base now. Everybody's jacked up and bowed up, and they all care about the home run. So I really feel that that's, that, that that's a silly rule, and it's embarrassment to major league hitters to say that, that, that they, they can't use the shift against me. I think that, that's silly. Learn to hit the ball the other way, big guy. You, they paid you a lot of money, you know. The second thing is, is they put a pitch count in. Now, I really like this rule because the pitch count I – mean, not pitch count, I'm sorry, uh, the pitch clock. So you have X amount of time to pitch a baseball. Now, this rule was in effect a long, long time ago in the rule book, in Major League Baseball, but nobody ever enforced the 22nd clock. Now, the rule, and I don't really know what the the second's going to be, but next year they're going to start that, and I like that idea because pitchers get up there, and they they fool around too much, and um, between each pitch, heck, fans want to see the ball pitch. In fact, hitters don't like pitchers that work fast. They step out of the thing. They don't like that. They want to get up there and they want to prep. They want to fix their glove 25 times and stuff like that. Heck, no, I think, I think that's a great, great rule because of all major league ball games are less than three and a half, four hours. And it's no excuse for that.
0: Coach, when you were in the, where you, when you were on the mound, were you a fat, did you work fast or how as, much did you finish? As, as fast as I
1: could, but you know, the only problem is that the, the ball left the bat faster than I threw it. So, I mean, I, was very good. I, I mean, uh, my, my
0: ERA was just like my weight. I think you, you're a little bit better of a ball player than you're leading on, Coach. Since so, so you played at Nichols and had a successful career there, but that's another time for another day. Uh, let's go ahead and focus on the Football 101 segment where Coach gets a chance to break down a, a different concept in football. Today we're going to focus on the check, uh, check With Me. Coach, can you just discuss, first of all, what is Check With Me and what's its role in football? Oh, I
1: love it. I love this segment. Jason, thanks for asking. A check with me is a system for those people that don't know. If you're a huddle team, it's a way that a quarterback will say he steps in the huddle. He says, check with me. And it means that he goes to the line of scrimmage and he says, "Guys, listen, I'm going to call the play at the line of scrimmage. So depending upon what defense he sees, if he sees more people to the right, he's going to run it to the left. If he sees more people left, he's going to run just the opposite. Now, normally he uses numbers or they can use, he can use code words. Uh, like he might say, Seattle to the right, uh, you know, or, or Washington to the left. He can use code words to tell them, the team, exactly what it is. This is all practiced by the, by the coaches on uh, all week long. And uh, they, they, they sit around and, and all they use a placard or some type of sign on the sideline to flash the signal in. But a check with me means if you do it out of no huddle, it just means the quarterback is going to call the play at the line of scrimmage. He's going to look at the secondary. He's going to look at the defensive front and make the call from there. Now, what does this do? It means that they will not have a bad play. So every play has a chance to win. So every chance a, every play has a chance to succeed rather than running into what they call a four-man side or overstack side. So this way, this is not a true audible. A true audible is when you, you call a play in the huddle and he goes to the line of scrimmage and he changes it totally. So this is this is totally different. Check with me, uh, sometimes you can have a package of check with me. For instance, uh, when I was coaching, I had a package I called Eagle Package. Now, if we just said Eagle Package, we use a signal on the sideline to signify Eagle. And if in that package, it was a run, was a pass, and maybe a screen. You can incorporate anything in that menu, whatever you wanted, in that package. So that's a, a system of check with me. And the snap count had to be the same because you do not want to have, to have guys jumping. Now, a lot of coaches use this system, especially the huddle group and uh, huddle-type teams, uh, but even the spread team, the no-huddle team, can use this effectively, and the quarterback is normally given an option about whether to run to play right or left, or maybe a two-play option with a check with me. So it's a very, very good system. Uh, football is more intricate than the fan thinks. It's, it's, uh, now, if you just call a play in the huddle and you go to the line of script and you run that particular play and then you run to the teeth of it, then the coach will look at all the players, you're not giving them a chance to succeed. So as an offensive coordinator, you wanna make sure you're giving your offense a chance to succeed. Now, it's gotten to the point, that's not only on offense. Defenses are doing this now. Defenses are waiting for formations, they're waiting for alignment, and then they're making adjustments and they're making check would be called with themselves. So they're giving a menu also, okay, what can I go to? Now, many people are using the wristbands and different methods to communicate this whether it's it, it, whether it's a sign from the sideline or signals from the coaches themselves and if you notice the signals you see people on the sideline making signals they always have a dummy guy and one guy that's really the live guy and sometimes in between series that will swap who's dummy who's live sometimes it's three people flashing in signals or sometimes it's, like i said sometimes it's just they use the signs from the sideline so basically check with me It's a system by which you call a manual play from that menu and it eliminates if you run in a bad play into a defense that was overloaded.
0: Coach, we're going to go ahead and look at our next segment. going to get the fans a chance to ask you a question. And we had a question from Michael Macaluso this week. You've been to a number of programs where you found a way to succeed, but what does it take to build winning culture?
1: Man, Michael, thank you for that program. I mean, for that question, i tell say that's a great question. I mean, I can go on forever and ever with that because there's, there's so many moving parts with this. Number one, if you go into a new program, for instance, you need to have the administration on your side because they need to give you the things that you need to have success. And I've been very fortunate in my career. I started off at Lecture High School. Uh, Mr. Buckler was there, but, but I became the head coach. I had uh, Dr. Karen Poria became the coach and she t- came to me, she said, "Coach." everything in the back, meaning everything in athletics is yours, you know, from, so you do not want, I don't want to get in your, your hair. You take care of everything in the back. And she you gave you a secretary. That was phenomenal. So, you know, I was very fortunate. to have real good administrators. You know, I've, I've had Mr. Drew Cupid, Dr. Courtney and me at, at, as of late. Uh, Father Thompson from Jesuit was a guy that convinced me to stay at Jesuit and not go back to, to Tulane one time. I had Barry Halsey at, at, at one time as administrator. So important. So he starts with administration. Two, this is what you have to incorporate in your program. Little things. Um, You have to incorporate discipline. And what that means is that other forms that you need to, every little thing matters. So if you make the little things important, the big things take care of themselves. So you have to incorporate discipline and accountability and structure with these kids. And that means, you know, a lot of preparation on your part. You need to prepare extremely, extremely well. But you need to incorporate the discipline on and off the field. So you need to develop that culture, uh, the kids, the way that they walk around school, because that football player is a byproduct of you, you know, and uh, because someone will walk up to you and say, Coach, what are your football players? So I used to explain this to them, that, that we held them accountable 24-7. That, that it, it, when they, and, and one football player can be labeled as a bad day, then it it, it it creates an atmosphere around the whole football team. And everybody says, well, he's a football player, he can get away with that. But that's not necessarily true. Being highly organized, uh, intense practices. So on the on the practice field, having intense practices. And I, I subscribe to what Bear Bryant said. A lot of his players just say, uh, practice, we can wait for the games because practice is so much harder than the games. So I think you have to have intense practices because I want kids to call it, and I call it a fastball. I want them to understand. I want them to go full speed in practice. So, you know, as a baseball player, you can't hit change-ups all day long and expect to go hit a 90 mile an hour fastball. So as a football player, you need to go full speed uh, with the aiming points and things of that nature, aiming points as a blocker, as a tackler. I think that, that they're very, very important. Um, you know, and, and you have to develop some integrity. I wanted my football players to understand what the game was all about. I wanted to know the little things. You don't do this on the football field. And uh, it, it said, this, I wanted you to be special. And so when they saw what you did and they saw another team, they come to you and say, look at that team over there, how they're carrying on. That's not the way you carry yourself. So you had to change that culture totally. Okay. And and, and this is the most important thing. Um, I want you to tell with Mike, the head coach has to be the leader. The head coach... I had to be, I always felt, it's not necessarily true, I always felt I had to be the first one in office and the last one to leave. And I, I've always felt that way because, you know, the, 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 I subscribe to the, the old sayings that the pace of the leader uh, determines the speed of the pack. The pace of the leader determines the, the speed of the pack. And, if, and, and the, the players knew if you were phony or not. The players knew, I wanted to make sure that we left nothing uh, no stone unturned. turn when we went to a game that we were so well prepared that any little thing that could come out that we had covered in practice, little things, how to stand for the Star Spangled Banner, where to put their helmet, uh, how to dress in their pants, um, you know, put their pants on. We all go wear the same socks. We're going to look the same. There won't be any individualism. And, and I think that the players appreciate that. And when they see another team not doing those same things, they understand the difference. But I, and, and lastly, you still have to motivate no matter what, with, no matter what type of motivation you use. Um, the, the kids used to tell me, coach, you use fear as motivation. That's not necessarily true, but I wanted to make sure that uh, when you correct the kid, you correct the app and not the kid himself. Correct. the ain't supposed to be here. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes you, you, it, it open your voice, but I wanted them to know, listen, you, you, you coach them hard, but you love them hard also. And that when you get off the field, like one one player said, Coach, you know, off on the field, you're the devil. He said, off the field, you're a pretty nice guy. So <laughs> the bottom line, uh, Michael, and thank you for that question, uh, I think it's a great question. It's, it's not easy to flip all that all that culture, you know, because uh, I've been in a couple of programs before where, you know, guys were sitting on their helmets on the sideline. And, um, you know, it was funny because I feel pretty proud when, when some of the guys come back in college and say, Coach, I'd never take my helmet off because I learned that at St. Charles Catholic. So uh that it was just a pet peeve of mine because I didn't want somebody to, to, to young folk playing one the coach said, uh, give me give me a DB and you show up and you can't find your helmet. So that helmet better be on your head and buckle it up.
0: Thanks, Michael, for that question. We're gonna go ahead and look at our thanks for the memory segment where Coach is going to discuss one of his memories from his Incredible tenure as a head football coach. Coach, today you want to discuss the 1982 Tulane versus LSU game.
1: Yeah, I know that a lot of LSU fans don't want to hear this, Jason, but I'll, I'll just bring this up. <laughs> in, uh, in, in 1982, we were at Tulane, I was, the sister, I was the running back coach. We weren't having a great year uh, that year. We had three wins going in the game. We went in as a 29-point underdog. We were playing LSU. It was a rainy Saturday night. Uh, and, 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 I mean, it was just pouring down rain and, uh, we're facing, uh, Alan Rich was the quarterback coach, Jerry Stowe, who evidently, and he's a very good friend of mine and, and a fine, fine gentleman. And, um, in fact, I, I hope to get him on one of my podcasts later on. He was across the, across the field from us, but, uh, they blitzed us 27 times that night, the, the first play of the game, Gary James, Dalton Hughes, the other back, Alan Richard in the backfield. Uh, they, throw, they run a toss sweep to Gary James, and he runs 80 yards for a touchdown. The crowd, the crowd was so loud, it was deafening. I was talking to another assistant coach right next to me. We could not hear one another talk. I mean, the crowd was just unbelievable. Uh, there was a packed house at that time. I think it was uh, 80, 80,000, 82,000-seat stadium. And, um, and, uh, but we came back, and uh, they kept blitzing us, and we had a guy by the name of Mike McKay. And Mike McKay was a guy from California He was actually a backup quarterback. Uh, Mike McKay, I don't know if a good day if he could throw the ball 40 yards against the wind, uh, with the wind rather. But for some reason, he kept throwing what we call a sight adjust. A sight adjust is a little pattern. If you see the blitz of the corner, the receiver automatically breaks out his drop and the quarterback, he would abort his drop. So in other words, he would take a shorter drop, abort his drop, and make a quick throw out there where the guy came from and make the deep safe to come make the play. So 27 times they blitzed, But the end result of that game, they had to lead late in the fourth quarter, and we throw an option route to a guy by the name of Reggie Reginelli. Reggie comes down, there, it was only a little four-yard route. But when he catches the pass in the flat, he seemed to be the only one that had traction in that mud. And Reggie was about a four-seven guy. I know he, I'm, going to give, I'm going to get a phone call from him. He said, Coach, I'm a four-four. He couldn't run four-four, uh, And, and um, you know, in the 30-yard dash. So, anyway, but he he had phenomenal hands and a phenomenal football player. And, um, you know, he's was a, an all-conference player for us at, 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 uh, at 2A. And, um, I mean, he was there for four years. I got an opportunity to coach him for four years. But he catches the ball, goes to the flat, outruns the whole secondary. We win the football game. And 31 uh, and I mean, the the, the the oranges came on the field because LSU was going to the Orange Bowl at that time. Uh, they were throwing oranges them and immediately all our team went to celebrate with their fans in, in the bleachers. There weren't many of them because most of it was purple and gold, but uh, LSU turned out the lights on us that night. And uh, unfortunately, the, the next day, the next day that Coach Gibson was, was relieved of his duties. But uh, it was a great night for, for Tulane that particular night, and, um, you know, Uh, My first four years at at Tulane University, we were able to defeat LSU three out of the four years, so that was an exciting time. I thought, man, this is easy, but it didn't work out that way the rest of the time. So that was a great moment, and I'm sure uh, a lot of the Tulane fans remember it, and a lot of the LSU fans don't want to remember it.
0: I'll have to give my dad a call later and and hear a groan and hear the other side of that conversation. My my parents were definitely at that ballgame. Season ticket holds for a while, and... um, I've definitely heard him discuss it, but maybe I can get a little bit more in-depth on the other side, the other perspective of it. Coach, we're going to go ahead and see where you're laying your money this week in lock of the week, and we'll go ahead and get a get a pick from me while we're at it. So, Coach, what are you looking at this weekend?
1: Well, you know, I, I looked at Tulane. You know, I looked at Tulane a lot and with the, going against Kansas State. Kansas State, a real fine team. They beat Missouri a lot worse than I'd ever thought they would beat them up There and they got a running back that's five foot six by them, a vaughn that can really run. Um, but I saw where the line climbed up, it's, it's a 16 and a half. But I'm really going to go with, with, with Fresno State, I'm going to go as the dog. I'm going to pick the dog, at are 13 and a half point uh, underdog I'm going against USC, who I think that USC is a lot better than people think. You see, a lot of the West Coast teams don't get the coverage because they're later games, um, and then and, and so. And a lot of people, they sort ignore them just a little bit, especially when it comes to the, the gambling aspect of it. So I'm going to go with Fresno State because they've been a hard-nosed team, and uh, they're going to give the USC, I think, a real good game.
0: Uh, I'm fresh off a of push last week, but uh, I'll go ahead and take Oklahoma, 11.5-point uh, favorite against Nebraska. Just too much going on at Nebraska. The change, too many distractions, outside noise it's a lot to overcome. And I know sometimes you see those teams rally and, and are able to make something of their season. But for this week against this Oklahoma football team, I think it's going to be tough for them to be able to flip the script and, and come out with a completely different look. They've struggled in their first three weeks of the season. So I, I don't see this week being any different. Maybe in a week or two we'll see them improve. And, again, they'll definitely have that opportunity to do so. But on a short week under new management so to speak, it's gonna be really difficult to beat that Oklahoma team, even that road, much less keep it within those eleven. I, I and a half agree with that.
1: Totally. Jay. The good point. She bring up some good points in, in a short period of time, the transition and uh, a lot of weeping and things like that. And and people thinking right now about should I transfer? You know, so I think it's a good point.
0: And that's so true. I didn't even think about the, the whole transfer aspect as well, but that's gonna wrap things up here for episode number three. Next week, we're going to be talking some more high school football. Again, we'll probably have some college action for you. And, again, it's been a, a great show, Coach, and it's yeah. been a, a Hope pleasure have, being on We'll have
1: Lionel Washington next week, Jason. We'll have Lionel Washington as our guest speaker.
0: And we're going to look forward to that. And let's go ahead and make sure you guys know where to follow us on social media. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at the LBF podcast, and that's going to do it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. And, again, please let people know where we are. So we're continuing to build, and like Coach said, we're looking to have line-out Washington next week. So very excited about that opportunity. So for everybody here, for Justin Thomas, our producer, for head coach, Frank Monica, I am Jason Dewey. And remember, Leslie Bonton will lay with the good control.